You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Well, good morning, Bowness. Good to be with you. I was here last Thursday night at the filling station. Who was here at the filling station? I'll do a different message today, so that's okay. <laughs> Try not to repeat myself. I often do, go in different places. So I'm Stephen. This is my wife, Helen, uh, over there in the green. And we, we come from East Kilbride, and we're part of, well, based at Glasgow City Church, along with Alistair and Barbara Matheson, which we've been part of for just over a couple of years now. And uh, we'll come in a little bit to, to Mark's Gospel. We're going to look at uh, the story of the feeding of the 5,000. It'll be quite familiar, I'm sure, to, to many of you in Mark chapter 6, but we'll get there in a little while. Um, Let me just give a little introduction to to myself and try and just create something of the the flavor of what I think God wants to release among us and is releasing into his his church in this day. I'm going to probably throw out quite a lot of things today and uh, hopefully different people will catch different things. Uh, And what's important is, is what you catch and what you embrace and where you take it, where it goes with you. The Holy Spirit's always releasing seed, the seed of his word, the seed of faith into our hearts, that, that something begins to, to, to take root, something begins to develop, something you don't quite understand at first. And I believe a key thing God wants to speak to us about today is, that, is the importance of trust. So we trust. As we trust in him, we, we step beyond our understanding. You step beyond your understanding. Part of our human makeup is we want to understand things before we'll entrust ourselves to it. But God calls us to trust. Put a trust in him. Put a trust in what he said to us. Put a trust into what he's showing us. Put a trust in him that we step beyond our understanding. Not knowing. Not knowing. And there we discover, like the, the song we sang earlier about the borders being, being opened up, there we discover the new borders that the life of faith takes us into. So if you were to ask me, who am I? Who am I? I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm impressed with Jesus. I'm seeking to live my life always impressed with Jesus. And he, he called me many, many years ago, maybe four decades ago now, Man, it's a long time. I'm getting old. Uh, Not really. Uh, He called me many, many years ago. He called me on an adventure. I I don't know about how you see this walk with Jesus. I don't know how you you view it. And we're all at different places, and we all kind of journey in slightly different ways. But I hope you see something of it. It's an adventure. It's not very safe. (laughs) He doesn't take us on nice little safe paths. Sometimes he takes us by the cliff edge and we walk along very, very close to it. Sometimes he takes us on paths that don't seem to be going anywhere and we think, what on earth are you doing with me, Lord? And that's where trust comes in again and again. You see, the Father is looking for children who trust him. The Father is looking for children who trust him. And sometimes, you know, we want to be the servants who serve him, and there's nothing wrong with that. And we want to be this, that, and the next thing, which sometimes are all good things. But ultimately, he's after children, sons and daughters, who trust him. Who trust him. When Helen and I first kind of went into 
to ministry, to use that kind of rather ambiguous sort of word. Um, we were called to a church in, in Castle Milk in, in Glasgow. It's one of Glasgow's big housing estates. At that time, back in the, the 80s, it was, it was a place that many people just wanted to, to escape from, to get out of. Um, Nathaniel asked, can any good come out of Nazareth? Some people asked, can any good come out of Castle Milk? And it had that kind of reputation. It was a, it was a beautiful place in many ways with many lovely people. And, and I, I felt such a strong call, you know, but when, when that began to unfold, uh, it, it was a Baptist church we went to, and it, it began with a third of the church leaving. Great start to my ministry. A third of the church left. Probably over the next couple of years, about another third left as well, and, and it wasn't a big church to start with. Some people used to you know, want to write the book on how to grow a, a great church, and I could have written a book on how to shrink a church <laughs> to almost nothing. And yet we knew God had spoken. We knew God had called. He called us not into an easy ride, not into some lovely church with nice middle-class folk and a lovely man's to live in. He called us into a place where there were challenges and there were issues that we had to face and things we had to walk through, fire at times. But he had called and you trust him. And in that place of, and it's a place of vulnerability. Vulnerability is not something to be afraid of. Vulnerability is not insecurity. Don't be afraid of being vulnerable and don't be afraid of admitting, I'm vulnerable. We're all vulnerable. We're vulnerable to many things. There are forces, there are things out in our world we're all very aware of in these days, viruses and all manner of things that we can be vulnerable to. But that does not make us insecure. And I think the Father wants us to walk this walk where we, we're, we're prepared to be vulnerable, but walking in His security, where trust develops and grows. And we had 14 great years in, in Casamilk. Well, they weren't all great years, but most of the time. And God did some wonderful things, and great breakthrough came. And I thought this was my ministry till the day I get taken home. Uh, and, you know, I was, you know, transform this. Lord, if you can transform this Glasgow housing scheme, God, you can do anything. Come on, Lord. And we prayed for an outpouring of the Spirit, and we saw an outpouring of the Spirit, and we saw miracles, and we saw some great things, and we had the other side of things as well. Our building gets set on fire, and my cars get stolen, and we had all those sort of fun things. And I realized after a time that actually that was really just my apprenticeship. 14-year apprenticeship. I look back and think, did I need that long, Lord? And he says, yeah, you probably actually need a bit longer. But... <laughs> But it's important that we look back in our lives and we, we reflect and we, we learn. We gain an understanding. Understanding is something that you gain. It doesn't just come to you. You have to take hold of it, put things together, and begin to understand the ways of God, how he operates, how he operates with you, how to really work with the Spirit. And this morning I want to talk to you a little bit just later about the potential of a Spirit-filled life that Jesus has made possible for every one of us. Anyway, after 14 years in, in Casamilk, the Lord spoke to both Helen and I. It's good when he tells you both together so you can be on the same page on it. And, and basically he said, step out. I want you to leave. I don't want you to go to another church, which would be the kind of normal route. You know, you serve your time in, in you know, one of the not so great churches and then you move on to a better one. You know, that's a kind of normal career path in Baptist ministry. But God was saying something totally different. He wasn't calling us to another church. He called us, he says, step out of the boat and you won't drown. And you know the Lord says to Peter, 
Because Peter says, is that you, Lord? Walking in the water and all those waves and wind. And, and, and if it's you, Lord, tell me to come to you. And Jesus just simply says, come. Yeah. And he was kind of saying that to us, come step out in this boat. And there'll be some wind and waves and, and, and there'll be challenges that you don't know of yet. And there'll be an incredible vulnerability. But just step out. I knew it was time to leave that church. There was clear signs from the Lord on that. We knew it was time to step out. We were developing a kind of prayer ministry in Glasgow. We didn't really know what we were going to do. So I don't think you have to know what you're going to do next. You just have to know he's saying, take that step. So with, with three, three children still at, while they were still at school, two of them were at the far end of that in their teenage years, we, we left. We left the church. We left the church salary. We left the church manse that we lived in. We went and rented a, a house somewhere. We went and saw the bank manager and asked about a, a mortgage, but she asked, how much do you earn? And I, I kind of had to say, well, at the moment, nothing. And how much do you think you'll get next month? And I said, I really don't know. And she says, come back in a couple of years, maybe. So we rented a house, and we rented another house. And, and, and we just stepped out. I remember one fellow minister, a good guy, saying to me at the time, you'll be fine for a few months, Stephen, because it's all new, and folk will support you and things, but it, it won't last. It won't last. You'll have to go back and take another church or do something else. 17 years later, 17 years walking under God's instruction never to ask anyone for money. We never asked anyone to support us. 17 years later, we'd lived by faith that way, receiving everything we needed. Never a bill missed. Never too much, always just right. Just right. And I could spend the next hour just telling you story after story of you know, bills that came in, this that came in, and checks arriving from people we didn't even know of for the exact amount. Just again and again, just the miraculous, wonderful way of God as he called us out on this adventure. Being vulnerable, but trusting him. And things begin to open out. A few years later, God clearly called us to uh, open up healing rooms in Scotland to release healing as a sign of his kingdom here in this nation. Every nation needs healing. Scotland needs healing. Bowness needs healing. People's lives need healing. Not just physically, but often deep inside the soul. Where people carry so much trauma, carry so many wounds of abuse, so many wounds, sometimes just of the power of words that have been spoken. Some of you may carry those kind of wounds today. Deep wounds that you, you, you cover over, you, you manage to live, but you know they're there crushing your inside again and again. Words that were spoken to you by people, maybe in childhood. Traumas that happen, different things. And, you know, the beauty is that Jesus is a wonderful healer. The balm of Gilead brings wonderful healing. Not just to the arthritis and to the aches and pains, although he does that, but to the very depth of the human soul. To the depth of the suffering of women and men. And when we opened up the healing rooms, we, we trained some folk and we, we opened up a venue, a little shop we were given by a church in, in an area of Glasgow. And we sat there, a, a little team of about five or six of us the first day, and we kind of thought, we want, you know, what would we do if, you know, is anybody going to come in? Uh, and, and then we thought, what would we do if somebody does come in? <laughs> we're not sure what we're actually going to do, you know? Um, and again, you're just in a position of vulnerability. You're stepping out, doing something you've not done before. We'll never achieve anything more in the Lord if we don't step out and do something we've never done before. There's a logic in that. 
And we did begin to see people come, and, and the, the healing room was God blessed it, and, and venues opened all over Scotland. And over the years, hundreds of people received some forms of healing, physical, emotional, mental. Gloriously, dozens upon dozens of people, maybe hundreds, came to a faith in Jesus. People received the baptism in the Spirit. People came and, and were just blessed in ways. People came and had their, their theology transformed because God did something in them that they didn't think he did these days. And God moved wonderfully. And God caused you to move on again and we, and we moved on to other things and, and you keep stepping out. Cross lines, cross borders. One of the real joys, real fun things we did in, in healing rooms was we used to go into the psychic fairs in Glasgow. I hope none of you have been to a psychic fair. <laughs> we'll deliver you if you have. But, but we didn't go in, obviously, for that. We went in and, and took a stall. And I, I remember when we ran the prayer ministry, folk used to say these psychic fairs that happen every three months in the Glasgow Royal Concert Hall, quite big events. Folk would say, you know, we should be praying against that, you know. And, and I thought, I, I don't know that's the way. I don't know that's the way of Jesus, to pray against anything. But why don't we go and be light in the darkness? And so we got a bunch of our team together and nervously, excitedly, anticipating, vulnerable. We went into the Royal Concert Hall, we hired our, our table, and we thought, what would we do if people come over to our table? <laughs> and people came. And God would speak words through our team into their life and they'd say, you know, you've just told me everything I need to hear. I'm going to cancel that appointment with the clairvoyant. I'm not going to go and see the tarot card reader now. And people would start getting healed and people would start giving their life to Jesus. A girl came to, they let you put on a talk, they had a, a talk program alongside, there's all these stalls. A psychic fair would have all these stalls, a mixed mash of things, people doing, you know, the, the standard things like tarot cards, but also some really weird stuff as well. Uh, some really crazy stuff. And, and in the midst of that, here's us, a bunch of, bunch of Christians with our stall. Say, come and be healed. Come and have your dreams interpreted by Jesus. Come and receive a word from, from God. After a little while, we became the busiest stall in the psychic fair in Glasgow. They had to give us a big corner space and two tables because we had so many people coming to us. They let you, they put on this kind of talk program and and you could apply to do a talk, and I thought they probably wouldn't let me do it, but I put down to do a talk about the healing methods of Jesus of Nazareth. And, and sure, I got my little slot, and I began to speak, and about a dozen folk came in, talking about feeling vulnerable. There I was, standing in front of these folk, doing you know, what they're thinking, and telling them about how Jesus heals. And I talked about forgiveness, the need to be forgiven, and the need to forgive others, because we found just praying with folk over the years, that's just so key. Freedom really lies there in being forgiven and knowing you're forgiven and forgiving everyone who's ever wronged you. There is freedom. And I kind of talked about that for a few minutes and the following Wednesday, this woman came along to our healing room in Paisley and, and she says, I saw you at the psychic fair and I heard what you said and I've, I've never heard anything like that before. And I need forgiven and I've got lots of people I need to forgive. And over the next couple of weeks, we ministered to this woman and we led her to Jesus and uh, she joined a church in, in Glasgow and, and, and God just wants to do that again and again. That's the adventure of faith. A guy turned up at the psychic fair one day. He was quite late and people would normally go and spend a lot of time going around all these different stalls. A little bit of mix and match, you know, pick and mix spirituality. 
And he said to the guy at the door, who's, who was one of the main organizers of the psychic fair, he says to him, I don't have much time, so what, what's the kind of go to so that I use the time well? And this guy who runs the psychic fair says to him, go to the healing rooms, because they're the best all here. Wow. I thought, Jesus, you're at work here, aren't you? <laughs> and God calls every one of us. He doesn't call you to do the things I've done. He doesn't call you in the same journey path as me, but he calls every one of us to take a step. Yeah, not to be afraid, not to be afraid of being a little vulnerable, because you will be. You know, to share your faith with somebody, it's vulnerable, isn't it? Most of us find that really quite hard. What will I say? What if they ask me an awkward question? What if they just make fun of me? It's hard. But let's not be afraid of being vulnerable. And take those little steps and see there's this great adventure that Jesus wants to lead us on. Helen, our heart is just to, to equip God's people to equip God's people to, to live as a house of prayer and to release the expressions of his kingdom into this world. The heart of our prayer, Lord, let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and prayer isn't about just sitting saying your prayers. You know, I was taught that as a child to say your prayers in quite a kind of religious sort of way. But I've discovered that to pray is to come and just sit with the Father and to delight in him as he delights in us. You know, Tom sang those words from Zephaniah 3.17 this morning about how he sings over us, he rejoices over us, he delights in us. And prayer isn't some kind of hard work, some religious duty that I've got to do and I really don't like doing it because I get bored and I kind of fall asleep. And No, it's to come and just delight in the presence of the Father. To let your heart just open up with your songs of love. If I can sing songs of love to the Father, so can you. I've got the worst singing voice in the world. But I can sit in my one in my house. I do it mostly when Helen's out, you know, because I get embarrassed if she would hear me sometimes because my voice is so tuneless. And I sing my love songs to the Father. And just to allow him to sing back over you. To sing back over you. And you might say, Stephen, I've never heard him sing back over me. Well, just sing a little more to him. Sing a little louder. Louder than the unbelief. Just sing to him. Just let your heart, let the desire of your heart delight in him. Just let him work in that, you know, work that delight in you. And just spend time in his presence. And out of that, we don't pray our prayers. We begin to pray with the Holy Spirit. Prayer isn't something God demands of us. It's something the Holy Spirit wants to partner with us in. To bring the things of heaven upon the earth. And what you behold of heaven, you can release upon the earth. What you behold, you see it says in Revelation 4.1, the door is open. There's a door open. John saw there was a door open in heaven. And he says, and behold, I saw a throne set in heaven and one sitting upon the throne. And God has opened a door for each one of us. You know, the access has been given to every one of us. You don't get that access because you've gone and studied theology or you've been in the church 20 years. You get the access the moment you're born again. You're born again of the Spirit and you've got that access right into the throne room of God. It's yours. The door is open. And as we look and behold, we see and we hear things of heaven. 
so that we can release them on the earth that his kingdom would come. His kingdom would come. Jesus has won the ultimate victory. He's seated on the throne. Jesus has won the ultimate victory. Therefore, today, everything is possible to the one who believes. That's what Jesus said. Everything is possible. I want to encourage you, each of you, but together as a people, to take a step into something impossible today. To take a step of faith that the impossible becomes possible. And don't let anyone tell you what you can or cannot do. Helen and I watched a, a film the other night. It's hard to find a film to watch, isn't it, without all the, you know. Anyway, find a good one, no bad language or anything. Uh, a film called Harriet, some of you might have seen it, about a woman called Harriet Tubman. She was a, a slave in, um, in America, in Maryland. And, uh, cruelly abused as a young child in slavery, managed to escape on her own and, and then went about rescuing other slaves. And she made many journeys back into the South and rescued 70 people from slavery over the years and just had an incredible inspiration and influence on others. And in the film, there's a, there's a part where she's talking with this, this man who's very much involved in, in trying to uh, free slaves. And she's talking about going back. She says, I'm going back going back to get my family out, going back to get others out. And he says to her, you know, you can't do that. You can't do that on your own. You, can, you can't do that. And she says this great line. She says, don't tell me what I can't do. He says it was a woman with spirit. She couldn't read or write, but she had spirit. And she knew the voice of God. And in the, in the, the, the film, it shows how God spoke to her in visions. And she would, she would go, don't tell me what I cannot do. Don't let anyone tell you what you can't do. Don't let anyone, don't let this world define for us what is possible and what can or cannot be. But Jesus speaks, the one who has the keys of death and hell, the one who has overcome, the one who has won the ultimate victory, and he says to us, everything is possible to the one who believes. Let's pop up the first slide if you, if you could for us. I'm going to give you a couple of, a couple of slides of couple, but these are statements I want you to get hold of. Maybe you want to write them down if you've got something there to write on or type on. See, Jesus demonstrated what is possible through a spirit-filled life. At the beginning of Mark's gospel, what happens? Jesus gets baptized by John, and at that moment, the heavens open. Good news is they stayed open. They're open to us. The Spirit came upon him, a Spirit-filled life. And he hears the voice of the Father. This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. The heavens are open for us. We can have a Spirit-filled life, and we can hear the voice of the Father, and his pleasure and his favor over us. Jesus demonstrated what is possible through a Spirit-filled life. Jesus didn't do miracles because he was God. He did miracles as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus isn't sort of half God, half man. Jesus is fully God, the eternal Son of God, who laid aside his glory and came as a man in the form of a servant, but filled by the Holy Spirit. He did miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit. He walked in perfect union with the Father. There was no sin to separate him, and he was filled with the Spirit. And then he demonstrates what that looks like. This is a spirit-filled life. The blind see, 
the lame walk, the deaf hear, and good news is preached to the poor. This is what a spirit-filled life looks like. But he did so much more than that because as it says up on, your, on the screen there, he then made it possible for us to live spirit-filled lives after his example. Jesus is really serious about you living that sort of life that he lived. Not that he sets some bar up here and we're all so unworthy so we grovel about down here somewhere and oh, praise God, he might use us one day to do something. No, Jesus invites us up and says, I set this bar, but not to put you off, but to draw you towards it. You see, I've removed your sin. I've made you the righteousness of God. You're not a sinner saved by grace. You were a sinner. You were saved by grace, so you can no longer be a sinner. You can't be defined that way anymore. If you're saved by grace, you can't be defined as a sinner. You are the saints of God, the holy ones. You've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. You can walk in that union now with the Father. And he gives us his spirit so that he enables us to live a spirit-filled life. And if you follow through Mark's gospel, we see the wonderful outworking of Jesus' life. In chapter 5, or the end of chapter 4 and chapter 5, we see this wonderful series of miracles where Jesus calms the storm. He speaks to wind and waves, and they obey him. He comes across a man, a demonized man, a man whose mind is tormented, whose whole being is ravaged by powers of darkness. And Jesus leaves him, the man clothed and in his right mind, wanting to follow Jesus. Jesus actually sees so much possibility in this man. He sends him away and says, go tell your friends what God has done for you. A woman hemorrhaging for 12 years, then reaches out and touches the very edge of his garment and immediately power flows from him and she is healed. And while all that is happening, the synagogue ruler, Jairus, is trying to get hold of him because his 12-year-old little daughter is dying. And by the time he gets Jesus to agree to come to his house, messengers come and say, it's too late. No point in bothering him anymore, Jairus. Your little girl has died. And Jesus turns and says, do not be afraid. Those are such powerful words from the Savior, aren't they? That he speaks into your life and my life. Do not be afraid. Not a baseless word that somebody might say to you, oh, don't worry about that, when you think, my goodness, I really do need to worry about that. But this is coming from Jesus, the Lord of glory, the Lord of life, who says to each one of us, on the basis of who he is, who he is to us and what he's done, he says to you, do not be afraid. Do not let that fear rule in your heart. Only believe. Or the term can mean keep on believing. In other words, he's saying to Jairus, you came to me because your daughter was ill. You believed something. Okay, they're saying she's dead. But if you keep on believing, watch the glory of God come forth. Jesus said to Mary and Martha, well, he said to one of them, I can't remember which one it was, but he said to one of them, did I not say to you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? If you believe, you will see the glory of God. And Jesus goes to Jairus' house, puts out the, the mourners and the wailers, and says, little girl, arise. Such authority. Such life-giving power. Our Lord, our Savior. Living a spirit-filled life that he's made possible for you and for me to enter into. It doesn't always go as wonderful as that 
Next, Jesus goes to his hometown. Mark chapter 6, verses 1 to 6. He goes to his hometown. It doesn't get on so well there. It says he could do no miracles there, no mighty works there. Except heal a few sick people. Most of our churches might say, a few sick people healed. Well, take that, Lord. That would be a good start. But God is more than that. And Jesus, who's raised the dead, goes to his hometown, and he can't do any miracles there. It doesn't say he chose it, or he couldn't do because of their unbelief. Because of their familiarity with him. Oh, this, yeah, we know this Jesus. This is the son of Joseph, the carpenter. We, his brothers and sisters live among us. And sometimes there can be a familiarity in our lives that breeds an unbelief that says, oh, we're just so used to this and so used to that. And our expectation becomes so low. They had a familiarity with him that didn't help. And it says this, that they also took offense at him. One of the great blockages to seeing God break through in our lives and our situations is that we've got offendedness sometimes in our hearts. Sometimes we're offended by what God didn't do that we thought he should do, that we're not open to what he wants to do now. Our world gets so easily offended nowadays, doesn't it? It's become the kind of thing. But we are people of a different spirit. People might give offense, you don't have to take it. Don't let offendedness land in your heart. And if there's any of it there today, take it to the cross and just give it to Jesus. Undeterred by the lack of success in his hometown, Jesus sends out his disciples. Over to you guys now. He's only had about a year with them. I needed 14 years to get apprenticed in Castanel. They've been with Jesus about a year, and he trusts them. He sends them out. Go, preach the good news and heal the sick. And off they go. This bunch of young men, some of them really quite young. We know all the, the frailties. We know all the mistakes that they made at times. And yet Jesus trusts them. Jesus trusts them. It's a wonderful thing to trust God, but it's also a great thing to know that God actually trusts you. I had a, a, a lovely thing happened to me one time. I was down in Brighton. I was down there speaking at a, a kind of healing room thing, and I was doing this healing service in the, one of the evenings, I can't remember which. And there was a, a little lady there. She looked as if she maybe lived in the streets. Very impoverished looking. And not very clean looking. And this little lady came up to me at the end and she said, I've got a word for you from him. And she says, he trusts you. And she walked away. And I thought, wasn't that lovely? Wasn't that lovely? This little lady that other folk might not have paid much attention to. And bless her, she had the boldness to come and pass on to me what the father maybe wanted to say to me, remind me of that very night. And the Lord wants to say to you today, he trusts you. He doesn't need you to have it all together because he's putting you together and he trusts himself to do that well. And he trusts you to take that next step. And so he sends out his disciples and then they regroup and they come together. Hey, we're finally getting to Mark 6, the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Sorry it's taken so long, but there we are. There sometimes needs a good build up. And you know the story well. Jesus and his disciples, they tried to get away, verse 31 of Mark 6, 
And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And so they go away, but of course the people recognize him, the crowd comes. And instead of chasing the crowd, Jesus welcomes them. It says in Luke's version, he welcomed them, spoke to them of the kingdom of God, and healed those who needed healing. But with this great crowd, it becomes late, and the disciples say, well, we're in a desert place, and the hour is now late. Verse 36, send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So the disciples come up with a fairly sensible, logical, understanding um, solution for the situation. We're in this remote place. These people, it's getting late. They need to go and find some food and lodgings in villages round about. Send them away, Lord. It was a sensible thing to do. But Jesus has got other ideas. It's a learning moment. It's a stretching moment. And look what he says to these disciples. He doesn't say, oh no, keep them here because I've got a miracle in hand. He says to them, verse 37, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Imagine being one of the 12 standing there. You give 5,000 men plus women and children. It's a big crowd. You give them something to eat. Where do you start? Now, we might think, well, we could fundraise. We could set up a, a crowdfunding. We could do this. We could do, you know, maybe we could come up with some great plans. We could start a charity, get some gift aid. We could do all sorts of things. Yeah, but this is an immediate situation. Right here, right now, you give them something to eat. See, Jesus sees that they've got something more in them than they see in themselves. Jesus sees that you have something more in you than you see in yourself. Pop up the next slide if you would, thanks. Jesus invites his disciples into the impossible. He invites his disciples into what they could never do without him, but what he won't do without them. It's really important to get both bits of that statement. Jesus invites us. He invites you, precious saints here in Bowness, he invites you, he invites us into what we could never do except by him, by the power of his spirit. You see, if what happens among us is only what could happen by human means, then what have we got? What's our testimony? We've got to have an expectation that things will happen among us and through us that can only happen because Jesus is among us and his spirit is operating through us. That's the distinction. Jesus invites you into what you can never do without him, but also what he won't do without you. See, sometimes we pray, Lord, come and do something in Bodes. It's good prayer, or is it? What's the answer to that prayer? Maybe the answer is, well, I've given you something already. You go do something in Bodes. Yes, he calls us into partnership, but what he's given, he wants us to release. And look at how the miracle begins to happen. You know, they sit down in groups in verse 41. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, Jesus looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. Where does the multiplication happen? 
None of the accounts in the Gospels tell us exactly where the multiplication happens. It doesn't say Jesus broke the loaf and multiplied this massive amount of food all around him and then the disciples took it. Somewhere in this process, Jesus breaks these two fish and these five little loaves and begins to hand what he's got into the hands of his disciples and they distribute it among the people. And somewhere in that process, miracle flows and happens. Now, what would have happened if the disciples said, well, thank you very much for the loaves and fish, Jesus. That'll feed the 12 of us. We'll, we'll hang on to this. I think the flow of multiplication would have stopped. And God wants to release something through us. But we've got to give it away. We've got to have those open hands to receive and to release. Open hands to receive and to release. We're just about done. I'm going to just let the Holy Spirit move among us in a moment. I don't know, Helen, do you want to come up? Um, Peter and John. You know, Jesus has been stretching these guys for these three years, stretching, stretching the faith. Peter and John go up to the temple. Acts chapter 3. And the lame man's sitting there. You know the passage, silver and gold have I none. But in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. But they say this, Peter says this, what I have, I give to you. What I have, I give to you. And you know, here in Scotland, we get all worried about, oh, that sounds a bit presumptuous, you know, what I have, only the Lord. No, Peter wasn't moving any presumption. He moved in a faith, he began to realize what he'd been given. What I have, what you have is what you've been given. It's not what you manufactured or dreamed up. It's what you've been given. And we need to receive with open hands from the Lord, with hands of faith that say, yes, Lord. We need to realize what we've been given. And then we release it. That the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear. God begins to break out more and more here in Bonesse. Let's stand together.